This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Two hours of Sports Analytics Live every Wednesday morning, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern. Cade Massey hosting this morning with the whole crew, Adi, Eric, and Shane. If you want Adi, better catch him because he's got class to teach. The man's got a job. What do you expect him to do? Yeah, this ain't a job, right? Nah. <laughs> You can jump in here. We wish you would. Number is one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seventy eight sixty six. You can email us businessradio at sirusxm Businessradio at sirusxm Or you can hit us up on Twitter at wmoneyball is our handle at wmoneyball. Great way to catch us, catch up with us, give us comments, whatever you got. At wmoneyball on Twitter is a great way to reach us. Speaking of Twitter, one of the great football follows out there at Frisco Josh. If you're on the Twitter sphere, you probably know at Frisco Josh. Josh Hermsmeyer. Burst onto the national scene last year in his debut season with 538, but he's been poking around for a little while. Friend of the show, repeat guest, Josh, good morning to you. Hey, crew, how you guys doing? What what a, what a morning so far, my goodness. <laughs> it's been fun. It's early for you, man. How could you have a morning? If it was 530 at my house, I'd been up about six minutes, maybe. <laughs> well, I had to get up with that Zeke news. It was bracing. Uh, well, you're like number one Zeke hater in the world. I mean, are, are, the, are the major television shows calling you for comment now that he's signed a contract? I wouldn't call myself a hater, but goodness, know. No, that, that, that's quite a... It's that's a little strong. It's, it's, a little it's strong. Uh, your hater on the residual scale, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair, that's fair. Well, look, you, you, uh, we, we have a lot to talk about with you. We might as well dive into that. We spent some time in the first quarter talking about that Zeke contract. You have been active in this conversation in football analytics about the role of running backs, period. Um, in, in multiple ways. The, 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 are they overused? Shouldn't teams be passing more? If they are going to run them, do they need a top draft pick to be the running back? So therefore, maybe they're overpaying these top guys. Now you guys are even challenging running backs in the in the receiving game, in the passing game. So you got to have strong opinions on them dropping $50 million guaranteed to ZKL, I'm guessing. So what? What? how has your morning gone? Uh, well, I thought it was interesting. I was watching the line movement uh, as it as it went down over time on uh, Vegas Insider. And, you know, not a, not a ton of movement as expected. It's, it's one of those things where uh, running backs just don't seem to move the needle in terms of forecasting projected performance. And, and I think that's kind of the crux of the argument. And, uh, um, you know, I... I I, I look. I feel. I feel really good for Zeke. I mean, good for him on a personal level, I guess. I mean, I don't know him personally, so it's kind of hard to, you know, turn that into some kind of uh, thing you could put your hands around. But um, in terms of team building and asset allocation, it just seems like a like a strange way to go about things. And, and, and it also kind of puts paid to the idea that the NFL as a whole has really embraced analytics to the degree that maybe people have been talking about coming into the season. Right. You know, it's interesting you say that. I, I was listening to Kevin Clark's podcast on The Ringer maybe last week or two weeks ago. He and his partner had just finished their preseason tours where they went around and talked to all kinds of teams. And they were talking about themes of the summer, things that jumped out to them. And one of the main themes for them, the number one thing they talked about was, it's just not that analytics savvy out there. It's just not that as analytics forward as you would think. And it's possible that we analytics folks sit around talking to each other about this stuff and the, the crowd is getting bigger and bigger and we get convinced that it's making more progress than it actually is in the 32 buildings around the league. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that, uh, you know, I think there are some teams who have, you know, what I would call an evidentiary pipeline where they actually take all the different inputs and weigh them and try and figure out the best move. Um, but I think most, uh, you know, do it the way they've always done it and kind of, um, you know, you have your analytics department over there in the corner and 
and maybe they'll put out something that confirms your priors and you'll use it and say your analytics, but uh, seldom will you actually uh, use evidence to that goes contrary to your the internal opinions within the building and, and change the way you're doing things. Well, Josh, you've, you've been mustering evidence. That's one of the things you do. You write for 538, but you also do it based on data. So you kick out really interesting stuff periodically. And you shot a you shot a graph out yesterday on your account again. We're talking to Josh Hermsmeyer at Frisco. Josh is his his account there on Twitter. You you look at this stats like this thing. We, we this cool thing we have about running backs now. So avoided tackles. So it's a neat mm. it's a neat. It's a neat idea, right? Because it's not just—it's more than yards. It's like, who are these guys who are, who are making you know, more of their of the uh, they're making more than they're given essentially because they're avoiding tackles. And Zeke is a is a is one of the leaders on this thing. He he's he avoids a lot of tackles relative to other running backs. And then you point out, well, it depends on how many opportunities they get. And your argument is essentially the best predictor of the number of avoided tackles someone gets is the number of opportunities they get. You're talking about rushing and receiving opportunities and when you do that you get this kind of expectation you know for example you know if you get three times more opportunities you should get something like twice as many avoided tackles this is the line you've drawn once you've got that expectation you can look at which players do better or worse than expectation than expected and you've got some guys up above who do better than expected given the number of opportunities for avoided tackles they get even more and they're kind of who you would expect Dalvin Cook who was hurt in his first year but is an exciting player Kareem Hunt Nick Chubb Melvin Gordon Adrian Peterson Saquon Barkley these are kind of validating the analysis and then you look below the line guys who aren't doing as well relative to the opportunities and Zeke is one of the biggest residuals on the downside I think this is pretty compelling on the argument that Zeke is not as special as one might think and do you, uh, in, in this kind of analysis, did you notice, I mean, I'm just kind of eyeballing it. I don't see a specific kind of uh, delineation, but did you notice anything between run, uh, differences between running backs that are kind of primarily uh, targeted in the passing game versus running backs that are kind of more conventionally targeted on the first and second downs? Yeah, when I looked at that and kind of split it up between evaded tackles, so those where you didn't break it, but you just made a guy miss by your moves and juking him, and then kind of sliced it out between that and actual broken tackles where you use your, your strength and physicality to uh, keep on moving upfield. Um, all I found was in terms of future predictiveness was that you're kind of slicing the sample into smaller and smaller pieces and, and you're not really getting too much more predictive power. So I don't really, I don't really have a take on which one is better. I lump them all together. And, uh, and it's actually one of the few things that we can call a running back skill that we can say he owns uh, to a degree uh, that uh, – interesting. Uh, different from the line or different right. from the scheme, and, and I think it makes a lot of sense. It's just great little football. You got you got a eleven on eleven. The quarterback is a guy that isn't you typically doing anything. So you got one guy left on defense, and that guy is the running back's problem. He he, he has been assigned to the running back. So right. on, almost, on, on almost every running play, he's either got to make that guy miss or he gets tackled. So the idea that you would break more tackles would make you more make you more valuable to a team uh, makes a lot of intuitive sense just in terms of football and uh, and and you see those guys at the top of the line the chubs the hunts and the cooks they were all really good at breaking tackles yep. in college so that so that uh, so trait, that trait, that skill transferred right over that that's good you said this one thing i want to emphasize cuz i i don't know how much you've written about this but i've heard you say it i've i've read you say it on on twitter that every running back every running play should begin with a description of the of the blocking like basically let's let's just start as we describe or as we credit a running play with the blocking as opposed to look at this guy what he did with it because we just focus so much on the guy with the ball and you're basically saying look most of what happens on a running play is determined by how well the the play is blocked absolutely absolutely i mean and and uh and 
part of that is the fragility of that type of analysis and that type of play. And that one weak link in that chain, and it's also true to a certain extent for pass blocking, but especially true for run blocking, every single guy needs to do their job up front. Otherwise, you have a blown up play and it's not, you know, you're getting zero yards or slight negative yards and and so uh, that chain, that dance of the hog mollies is really something that uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's, difficult, it's difficult to do with any consistency against yep. NFL defense. Yep. So, Josh, this is Eric Bradlow. Is there any um, – I've been – I was reading articles over the last few weeks, obviously, while Zeke was holding out, where they were comparing, like, the QBR of Dak Prescott with and without Zeke Elliott on the field. Do you put any – credence or any value in that type of analysis to attribute some of the well now the receivers are getting less defenders less people in the box do you put any weight on that and how would you attribute that to Zeke if at all I do put some weight on it simply because NFL players say they pay more attention when Zeke is in the game so that's your prior but then when we go in and we actually try and figure out can we tease out a signal there is there anything there that we can actually put our hands around We've looked at things like play action performance with and without, uh, you know, key starting running backs, top running backs, and and we just basically found nothing. And so it's, I, I'm deeply skeptical that a, that a defense that's been trained their entire life to attack a gap when they see their cues are hit for running plays, um, they see a line move a certain way, they see a mesh point look a certain way. I, I feel like. You know, they've been trained to do that. They're going to take those steps. They're going to take those steps towards the line of scrimmage. They're going to get fooled. Um, uh, and I'm speaking specifically of play action. In other parts of the game, it's just a little more nebulous. I think with tracking data that we may be able to kind of uh, ask better questions of the data and, and maybe come up with some better answers. So I'm holding out uh, in terms of whether I make a, a concrete conclusion about the effect of running backs on the passing game, but it certainly doesn't appear. I just, I just want to say I love that answer because I'd love to see tracking data to say, are receivers more open? Are there more blown coverages? That type of motion data. I love your answer there about maybe we'll be able to ask more sophisticated questions than just, is it better or worse? And hopefully it'll kind of, for for those of us who can't just sit there and watch the tape with the coach when we want to analyze the data, to get you know some kind of automated way of, 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 of building scheme into an analysis, which we all agree is a really important part of this story. That would be really nice. So, Josh, where does the data on broken tackles and, and evaded tackles come from, particularly at the professional and the college level? Is that something that that, that, that gets reported? And is it in, It's not in a box score. I mean, is it, how do you get it? Well, it's interesting. You know, uh, um, I was having a discussion about this yesterday on, on Twitter, and, and, and it's charted, just like almost everything else in football. Uh, you know, yards are charted. The, line, uh, the Where the line of scrimmage is is basically an approximation. Someone did a uh, an analysis of spotting the ball um, using the tracking data. Yeah, that was Jake Flancer. It's one of my students who did oh, that yesterday. Man, he, did a, he did a fantastic job with that. I hadn't seen it before, and he tweeted it at me, and it was wonderful. It's a normal distribution, so 70% or so of the spots are within a yard of the actual line that the, uh, that the ball, um, uh, as far as the ball matriculated downfield, according to the tracking data. But there are some, some, some outliers there. I mean, there's some times where ball spotted three yards plus or minus mm-hmm. where the ball actually ended up. That's interesting stuff. So I, I guess the point is, is that everything's charted. Everything's kind of um, uh, subjective in a way. And so, What's really what really matters is whether or not your rubric is consistent across time and across players, and if it is, you can tease out some signal there. So I, I do believe in uh, missed tackles, even if uh, the subjectivity inherent in whether or not a guy made a guy miss with a certain juke 
um, is still there. We're talking to Josh Hermsmeyer. Josh is a longtime football analyst. He writes for 538, debuted last year, regular column for 530s. You can follow him on Twitter, at Frisco Josh. Josh, you've been in this conversation more generally about running backs and and the fact that teams, the claim that teams overrush. And I'd like to hear a little bit more of your position on this. And I'd like for us all to have a little conversation about how do we establish such a thing when it's really hard to to understand the counterfactual. It's by really hard I mean impossible. So let's yeah. let's let's understand <laughs> like how could we get how could we sink our teeth into this? What has been done? What do you feel sure about? What are you less sure about? What is your claim? Okay, so I think at, at the top line is that we need to figure this out empirically. We need a team or a number of teams to actually pass the ball at a very, very high clip. Um, I, I, I kind randomly of select it. Yeah, random, random, run experiments, <laughs> damn it. Come on, help us out. No, there, is, there is a selection bias, no doubt. But, but I still think that you could, if you were to say that, look, this is a bad team. We all knew it was a bad team. We already, that was our prior. They were still more effective passing when they passed 80% of the time. I mean, that would be compelling evidence. Um, so I'm kind of rooting for these teams that are, that are perhaps tanking, well, for sure tanking, like Miami, um, to actually kind of experiment in that way and so that we could at least have one data point of a team um, that is going to perhaps pass more than we've seen an NFL team pass in the past. But, so, but uh, Josh, however, hold on, hold on a sec. Just let's start. Yeah. Let's start with some some observations and some claims because the the rough way this analysis goes, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do some damage here. But the rough way is, look, in these circumstances, when they pass, they do better on uh, per per you know on average per attempt than when they run. Therefore, they mm-hmm. should pass more. That's like a very rough, crude version of it. And we, we got to do better than that to really make the argument. So I'm, I know that some of you have done better than that. But, but taken to the limit, it would suggest why not pass all the time? Like why, what, why not pass 100% of the time? And as soon as you go, well, then of course you got to do X. All those Xs are the considerations in the other columns. Like that's why teams rush maybe more than seems like they should. So can, can you just walk us through why you're so confident that they are not rushing enough right now? I don't know. I mean, I'm sorry. You're so confident that they're rushing too much. Yeah, they are currently rushing too much because of what you said. Um, and, and also because what we've seen in other sports like basketball, when there was a kind of pushback against the three-point play, even though uh, its expected value was much higher than a mid-range shot, um, you know, there was, this, there was this pushback internally, and they were saying, well, you know, the, the mid-range shots go through the hoop more often. It's kind of the argument with rushing. Well, the, the distribution of outcomes is a little more narrow. It's they can be more confident what kind of yardage we'll pick up on a rushing play, uh, lower variance. And so I think that there's a um, within football there's there's a there's a mentality there with they're a little risk averse, and it's also a lot to do with the quarterback, as you guys mentioned at the top. So if you don't have a good quarterback, it, it often makes a lot of sense to uh, to go ahead and uh, and hand the ball off. It's a lot safer play. Um, one other thing that I was told by the folks at Pro Football Focus when they were interviewing coaches about perhaps why running is, is, is happens as much as we uh, as we see is that sometimes play callers and and uh, passers need a break. So there's a lot of mental. It's mentally taxing to drop back and read a defense play after play oh, after play. Really. And so what they'll do is they'll just take it down off and uh, turn around and hand it off. <laughs> so, Josh, this is Eric Bradley. Let me ask you a question. Have people looked, instead of expected yards per play, I'm sure they've done this, just about win probabilities? Because, for example, if it's third and inches 
And as you talked about lower variance, my guess is a running play may not yield the expected greatest expected number of yards, but it might get you a first down, which might actually increase the win probability because you have a greater chance of getting a first down. Have people scored running plays just in terms of win probability as opposed to expected number of yards, or maybe that's what they're doing now? And actually, just to kind of follow up on that, kind of like looking at wins instead of kind of per play expected yards, Another kind of argument for the running game is that it kills clock. It, it you know you 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 reduce the number of possessions by your opponent, etc. So like the, there's kind of these macro level factors for running that would not be kind of fa- would not kind of show up on a per play show basis. up on a per play basis. Yeah. By the way, Justin, yeah. we're not we're not haters, and we're we're yeah. just we're just pushing the empirical no, argument. We're trying I just to want to know what's known. Yeah, and, yeah. and we're we're playing kind of classic academics here. It's like okay, you know, maybe we like the argument, maybe we believe you, but we don't. We don't. It's not. It's not. It's not demonstrated yet because the empirics are so difficult. Yeah. No. No. And I agree with with all those points. It, it does turn out though that expected points and win probability added uh, are basically the same for almost the entire game. It isn't until late in the fourth quarter they diverge, and that's when you really need to do the analysis you all are suggesting, which is let's look at win probability of a play, the amount of time is taken off the clock. Um, the value of getting a new set of downs is much, much higher as the clock is ticking down, especially if you have a lead, um, than it is early on in the game. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, in terms of expected points or expected value of a play, um, they really, they are, they are, they are, they are equal. Uh, but I think the distinction was more, points. I'm sorry, I think the distinction was more expected yards versus expected probability or expected points. Because we would expect expect we would expect that expected points and expect and and win probability would travel much more closely. But a lot of the stats we see on these run pass comparisons are average yards per attempt. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I guess uh, I guess I was referring to EPA, but um, yeah, no. Again, I mean, I, I understand why you may want to, as a coach or play caller or, or as even as a team, uh, want, want want to take the lower variance outcome. You know. Once in a while, I think it's this idea that's akin to bluffing in poker. You want to keep your opponent honest. You want to make sure that they have to respect the run. The idea, I think, that the folks in the analytics community, myself included, are pushing back on is that you need to do, to run 50% of the time for that yeah. to be the case. Yep, yep, yep. You know, I do wonder how much of it's just, just that predictability issue. You know, if it, it, I, I, has anybody run the – do we evaluate teams on their predictability? You know, given the same circumstance, they have – they have tendencies. Some teams have stronger tendencies than others. And can we say, could we relate the strength of their tendency to their performance in some way? Yeah, I looked at first and second down against stacked boxes. Uh, second down would be uh, second down to long. First and second down against stacked boxes and neutral boxes. So seven men in the box or more. So this is basically dictated by the formation of the offense. They come out heavy. They come out with two tight ends, two running backs. They come out with a tight formation, whatever it might be. Yep. It looks condensed in the middle of the field so now you have seven to eight maybe perhaps nine men in the box this is a classic we're stopping the run on defense and we're running on offense yeah yeah in the nfl there's hardly any audibling that goes on at that point um over around 70 percent of the time the team just goes ahead and runs it um and when in fact the the ability there to, to deceive the defense and be and be especially efficient on offense passing the ball downfield is uh, is absolutely clear in the numbers and so i think i think this idea of deception is really the core of this argument about run pass in the mix uh-huh. and, and and for me it's, it's more about 
how, how often can you deceive the defense into doing the wrong thing? And, mm-hmm. and I think that goes to why we see play action being so effective mm-hmm. as a play and, call. And we probably see pretty big differences in teams and their in their ability to, or even their willingness to even try to to do those kinds of things. Josh, we're down to just a couple of minutes. We want to get your thoughts on some quarterbacks around the league. You've had some pieces up on five thirty eight recently, especially with the Colts' big change in the last week. What is your position on how they're going to do with their with their new quarterback now that Luck has retired? I'm I'm a little uh, bearish on, on on their uh, on their chances. I mean, certainly uh, Andrew Luck wasn't a metric darling in terms of his uh, performances on the field. He was about league average in completion perspective uh, percentage over expected. His QBR was always a little lower than what you might expect. He wasn't very mobile. Um, so it's not it's not the case that this is going to be the biggest drop off we'd ever see. Uh, in terms of expected performance for the team. But Jacoby Brissett is, um, I, I don't think he's the long-term answer. Obviously, the Colts seem uh, a little more confident in his skills than uh, than I do. They gave him a two-year extension. Um, and uh, I guess for me, my, my take was that I, I might use this as an opportunity to go ahead and try and get a higher draft pick because a guy like Brissett gives you a lot of air cover. Um, if you were a front office and a coaching staff, if you wanted to, maybe open up the season against a really rough schedule. turns out you only win one or two games. You can kind of covertly tank for a higher draft pick while, while not really kind of showing your cards in that regard. And mm-hmm. I, I think, I think uh, that would probably have been the tack I took if mm-hmm. I was Indianapolis. Well, they, they certainly have a history of high draft picks on quarterbacks. My God, no, no franchise probably in any sport has done as, has been as lucky with as they have been. So maybe they can pull it off again. Listen, Josh, we're going to have to let you go sadly, because we'd gladly take you for another half hour or longer we're watching we hope you we hope you do well with your work and you enjoy the first week of the season it's a fun time of year oh fantastic thanks for having me on there. absolutely josh hermsmeyer 538 writer great follow on twitter at frisco josh one of the best writers and observers one of the leading commentators in the world of football analytics josh hermsmeyer for more insight from business radio please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu 